Welcome to Activate Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you, and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. What God's really been uh, speaking to us as a church, I believe, is this, is this whole thing about identity, who we are, how we fit into uh, not only uh, into God's kingdom, into his church, into his house, but how we fit into this world and, and what it is that God's desiring to do not only in us but through us as well. You know, we've kind of been on this real journey as a church and a few weeks ago we, we did the prayer and fasting for that week. I know I understand that last week uh, Pete Buckley came and spoke to you and he talked about the things that you, uh, you, know, you partner with in life and it's how it's important that you, you choose the right things because they can have either negative or positive impacts upon our life. Well, this, this whole topic of identity is something that... Um, it's a journey that uh, is one of the most significant things we can do. We undertake uh, or discover just who we are and where we fit into, as I said before. You know, Scripture tells us that we are created in the image of God, doesn't it? So what that means is that we have the capacity to, to think, to reason, to create, to love, these type of things. But too often, you see in church that we don't ever really reach that potential. We never really discover that and where we fit in. There's a, you know, we can find our, our source of identity through so many different means, can't we, through life. I want to share with you a, uh, a story, it's a true story. Does anyone, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not holding my breath here, does anyone, has anyone ever heard of the guy by the name of Frank Abagnale Jr.? Did you only hear of him because I spoke about him this morning? Yes. <laughs> no, we've got a few. All right, it doesn't shock me, you're a younger crowd. Um, but you may have seen a movie about his life, though. Who's seen Catch Me If You Can? It's got Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, those type of things. If you haven't seen it, go and see it because it's a great movie. Well, let me tell you about Frank. Frank was born in uh, April of 1948. He was one of four children. Uh, growing up at a young age, his parents actually divorced, and he made the choice to go and live with his father. Well, at the age of 15, Frank uh, decided to leave home. He'd had enough for whatever reason. He left home. All he had to his name was $200. He had no formal education, nothing. That was it. So in order to survive, Frank ended up kind of getting involved in petty crimes and scams and that type of stuff just to survive in life. Well, as, uh, as he's kind of living out in the world, he started to notice actually there was an Airlines, Pan, Pan Am or uh, Pan Pacific American Airlines, I think, at the time. Was around. He'd noticed that there was a lot of these uh, pilots that were kind of really revered within society. It was a new kind of thing, you know, back then. So people looked up to these pilots and he, he saw something in them that he needed, that he wanted in his life, that he wanted to identify with. So what he did at the age of 15, he'd not only actually forged his driver's licence to make himself 10 years older, um, so he's kind of an old-looking 15-year-old if he could pass for a 25-year-old, that's for sure, but he then called up the Pan Am headquarters, posing as a pilot who's lost his uniform in transit. So the headquarters there said, no problem, go down to this address, we'll give you this address, you can go down and you can pick yourself up a new uniform. So he went down there, he actually forged another employee ID, went down there, picked up a uniform, charged that to the, to the company. Now he had this pilot's uniform. What was he going to do? He, he ended up posing as a student doing an assignment and met with one of the managers there at Pan Am and just found out everything he could, all the terminology, what it was like, 
uh, his life as a pilot, those type of things, every bit of information he could that would enable him to pass himself off as a pilot. Well, armed with a uniform and this information, he ended up actually hitching free rides on their flights and he travelled around the world for free, just jumping on these planes, posing as a pilot. So he did that for a while. Uh, Pan Am and police started becoming a bit suspicious of him, so he ditched that and he then looked for the next identity, something else that he could take up. Well, the next thing he ended up doing, and mind you, this is still when he's like 15, 16 years old. He's accomplishing all these things. He posed as a doctor on sabbatical, so on holiday, out of town. And he kind of hooked up with this other doctor who was practising at this hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. And this doctor had invited him along. And one thing led to another. He ended up overseeing the uh, interns on the night shift at the hospital. So there's this guy, no qualifications, nothing. He's training interns, people who are actually studying and learning to be doctors. He's training them and supervising them at the hospital. Because of his kind of nature and his charismatic nature of that, he ended up, after a short period of time, as actually put in charge of all of the internship as a supervisor. He was running the whole thing at the hospital for these guys. It's unbelievable what he accomplished. He did that for a while. He ended up actually, because of a decision that he'd made, there was a young child who was being treated at the hospital, actually almost lost his life because of some decisions that, that uh, Frank had made. He decided that's a bit too close for my liking. So he ditched that identity and then he moved on to the next one. So for the next two years, Frank ended up uh, just kind of jumping from job to job. He did things like he, was, he actually lectured at Brigham Young University in sociology as a lecturer. He posed as a uh, film director. He did all kinds of the, you know, weird and wonderful things. And this is all between the ages of 15 and 21. He did all this stuff. He ended, ended up, by the end of it, he had scammed the uh, American government out of $300,000. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but if you kind of take that back, kind of back to those days, back in the 50s or whatever it is, it's probably equivalent to millions of dollars. He's actually scammed out of the American government, all between the age, as I said, 15 and 21. Well, he ended up getting caught. Uh, eventually, he served time in Sweden, in France, and then uh, also in the US. Um, I think he ended up serving probably about five or six years uh, in prison, at which point the government actually approached him and said, listen, if we give you early parole, will you come out and actually teach us? Show us what you do. Teach us your methods so that we can't get caught out like this again. And he ended up spending the next 30 years, I think it was, working for the FBI as their kind of lead authority in the areas of embezzlement, forgery, um, and those type of things. It's just an amazing life, isn't it? It's unbelievable. But do you know what? If we look at, uh, take a closer look at Frank's life, we can see the desperate need that he had to fit in, didn't he? He was looking for an identity. He was searching for something, a place in which he could find meaning or purpose for himself. And do you know what? We can do that as well, can't we? We can look, start looking at all kinds of different things. We can create images for ourselves, whether that's an image on... Instagram, or whether that's on Facebook, whatever it is, we can project the things that we want people to think that we're about. We create these things uh, out of our own life. Do you know what? The, uh, the early church had this same trouble. If you look, if anyone's ever done a study of Ephesians, you'll know that that whole book is about identity. Paul is speaking to the believers there in Ephesus about their identity because they had lost their way, they had lost their track. 
So we're going to look at a couple of, we'll probably jump around Ephesians a little bit, but um, one of the main scriptures we'll kind of focus on is, we'll read this out. So in Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, it says this, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life you lay aside the old self, which in being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You know, just to give you a bit of background about uh, Ephesus, it was known as the mother city. Uh, It was one of the uh, capitals for Rome in Asia Minor. It was actually one of the leading places for culture, for politics, and even for religion. It was actually a pluralistic city. And by that I mean they worshipped a lot of gods. There were a lot of gods. I think there was upwards of, um, or if not more than, 50 different deities that they worshipped in that city. Um, The main deity was a goddess by the name of Artemis, or otherwise known as Diana. So the Artemis used to be uh, worshipped. They actually recognised Artemis as the Queen of Heaven, as uh, Lord and Saviour. That's how they saw Artemis. And Artemis, they used to have weekly parades, celebrations in honour of Artemis. They used to run games and competitions and all this kind of stuff, all in honour of this uh, goddess. So we can kind of see where the Ephesian believers, what they were caught in, can't we? We can see the, the culture that was around them and the struggles that they might have faced and the persecutions that they were receiving at the time. So they really struggled. They were losing sight of their identity because they just kind of kept feeling these things just coming at them, being bombarded at them time and time again. Well, there's some things in this scripture that we want to look at to help us. Not only did Paul help them, but obviously we can take what Paul spoke to them, we can take into our lives as well. To help us here this day with regards to uh, our identity. The first thing we need to understand is truth is the truth. Whether we're aware of it or not, the truth is the truth. So in particular, we look at from uh, verse 20 and 21, but you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. If we jump to Acts, so this is also relates to when Paul had uh, arrived in uh, Ephesus early on. He taught the believers, the people being converted, this type of stuff. But we see he kind of... Really in the beginnings, people were kind of becoming aware of Paul and his message and his missionary trip. So we have here the the seven sons of Sceva. We might have heard this before in Acts 19. So it says, But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you. I'm not sure who would use that kind of word, but they did. I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and subdued all of them 
and overpowered them so that they fled out that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who live in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all in the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. You know, the, the, the people in Ephesus have missed the point. So they were willing to add to the number of deities, the number of gods that they were worshipping. That, that meant nothing to them. So they come along, Paul comes along and he speaks about Jesus, this new God. That didn't bother them. They could add Jesus to their, to their lives, to their long list of people that they worshipped. That didn't mean anything. But you see, they'd missed the point. See, Jesus wasn't there to add to what they already had. He was there to replace completely. Do you know what? We do that, don't we? When we become believers, we can get caught in that trap of just adding Jesus to what we already think and believe about ourselves. He's just that kind of add-on thing that we tack on to our lives. And we forget the whole reality is that Jesus isn't there just to add on into our life. He's there to replace He's there to kind of do away with some of those false mindsets or understandings that we've held in the past. Yeah? So he's there to replace, not to, not to add on. Mark Zuckerberg, we'd all know him because he's one of the founders of Facebook. He actually had this to say about Facebook. Think about what people are doing on Facebook today. They're keeping up with their friends and families, but they're also building an image, an identity for themselves, which in a sense is their brand. They're connecting with the audience that they want to connect to. It's almost a disadvantage if you're not on it now. So we could see, my question would be, and the question we should ask ourselves, what is our identity founded upon? Is it something that's founded upon, you know, something external? Is it a career? Is it a title? Is it something that people might think or say about us? Or is it something that's internal even? Is it some things that people have spoken over our lives or things that we might even believe about ourselves? that aren't necessarily true or really strong or helpful to us? Do we hold on to those things? Is that what defines who we are as people? Can I tell you whether, you know, and sometimes those things can be good, can be encouraging and positive, but the reality is whether it's our uh, images or our identity is founded on something external or internal, the problem with that is that we can have good days, we can have bad days, and all of a sudden if things aren't going so well or people aren't thinking or speaking good things about us, our identity, really, our lives can really take a nosedive, can't we? We can be up and we can be down from one day to the next. There's no firm continuity to it. Is there? So we've got to look for that constant. What's that constant uh, in our life? Do you know what? I might be tempting Fade here again. I don't know. But who here has heard of Charlie Chaplin? There's really everyone. A few people. Good. Thank you. So can I tell you... This astounds me. Charlie Chaplin. So he's around back in the early 1900s or something like that. Obviously, he was an actor, uh, comedic actor in the movies, uh, a lot of silent movies, that type of stuff. Now, he had decided it would be a great idea if he entered himself into a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest. How weird is that? Entering yourself into a contest that's designed to see who looks most like yourself. So he entered himself into this contest. He stood, do you know where he came in a contest that, to look like him, he came third. How can you come third? In other words, this messes with my mind. In other words, there was two other people that looked more like him than what he did. Does that make sense to you? It's crazy. But do you know what? The judges, the people who were standing there, who obviously officiating this, this contest, they'd missed the whole point, hadn't they? They missed what was right before them. They missed the truth that was before them. They couldn't perceive it for whatever reason. 
And because they couldn't perceive it, they actually missed out on a great experience, a great encounter in which they could have met one of their idols, someone they obviously looked up to if they're holding this type of competition. That's the same for us. What are we missing out on? Because we don't realise what the truth is, because we're missing that truth. You know, the, um, the believers, again, we go back to Ephesus. And I kind of mentioned just earlier how Paul, when Paul first came into uh, Ephesus, back in Acts, it talks about he preached the word, he spoke about Jesus. There's a lot of people who actually converted. In fact, Scripture tells us, I think it's in Acts 19, tells us that many people actually ended up confessing their practices. In other words, their witchcraft, their pagan traditions, rituals, the things they'd been involved in, they began confessing those things uh, to Paul, to the believers, to receive forgiveness. And not only did they do that, but they brought their books out. and talks about in Acts 19. They brought their books out. It actually even goes as far as telling us the value of those things, the books and the paraphernalia. It was 50,000 silver coins. That was the value of things that they'd brought out to burn, just to have a good old-fashioned book burning with these things to get rid of them, to detach themselves from their past, things they'd been involved in. So just to give you an understanding of that, one silver coin was equal to one day's labour. So we're talking 50,000 days of labour worth. That's the value of things that they gave up, they burnt up, they got rid of because they knew that that wasn't part of their life anymore. So they were going strong, clearly, at that point when Paul first spoke to them. Well, Paul's missionary trip continued on. He left Ephesus and we see, then jump forward to when he's had to write this book to the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, where he's actually had to encourage them again, basically, because they'd lost sight. They'd lost sight. And that happens to us, doesn't it? We can go strong one day, then all of a sudden when things start to happen, when we start to feel a little disconnected, when we start to feel a little persecuted or challenged, just the journey itself can wear us down. We can lose sight of that, can't we? Our identity. Well, do you know what? Paul spent the first four chapters in particular really reminding them and pinpointing to them the things that they need to understand about their identity. And I've written, I've written uh, these things down because I think it's worth going through. So I want you to understand as we go through these things, Paul's not just speaking to the Ephesians, to the believers back then. He's speaking to you now. These are things that you possess right now as believers in Christ. So you are blessed. Every one of you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, places in Christ. Every one of you are holy and blameless before him. Every one of you are adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. You are praise and glory of his grace. You are redeemed through the blood. You are forgiven of your trespasses, in other words, your sins. You have retained an inheritance. You are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. We're still in chapter 1. These are the things he's reminding the Ephesians that they are. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of, of him, of God, is in you. You are the surpassing greatness of his power toward those who believe. You are made alive together with Christ. You are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are saved through faith. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. In him you have peace. And he keeps going. You are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You're also being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. 
For to each one of us grace was given, so grace was given to every one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. There are some of us who are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. God says that no longer should we be tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every kind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. We have, we're above that. We have that wisdom, that strength. We speak truth in love. We have a new self in which, the light, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness in the truth. These are some of the things, you know, and it continues on as we go through Ephesians. That's just the first four chapters. We've still got two other chapters after that in which Paul is speaking directly into our identity, who we are. Whether you realise that or not, the truth is the truth. You know, identity starts with the question, what do you believe about your relationship with God? Doesn't it? You know, we must understand that who we are in Christ, it's not about you. It's about him. It's about what he's done, what he's accomplished, and what he desires to do in and through us. It's not about you. You know, in, uh, in Christ is a phrase that's used 11 times in the first chapter alone and 36 times throughout the entire book of, Christ, uh, through the entire book of Ephesians. In Christ is actually the foundation of who we are. And that's what you've got to think and you've got to really receive in your spirit and in your thinking and understanding is that in Christ is what our identity is. That's what it's founded on. So Paul not only speaks to the individual, but he speaks to us corporately as well. In Ephesians 4.4, he brings up this term, one. We have one baptism, one spirit, one hope. Seven times he mentions this word one, and that's a huge uh, divergent from what the uh, people in Ephesus, the culture was about, who obviously we talked about before, who were very pluralistic. They had many gods. They had many rituals. They had many baptisms that they were entering into. In fact, what they needed, they would go to that specific god, undertake that specific baptism or ritual in an attempt to try and uh, invoke that kind of power from that specific god for their specific need. But that's not it. Our foundation is in one, the one. Isn't it? The second thing that we can uh, learn from is this calling to your potential. So from Ephesians 4, 23 and 24. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You know, I'm, going, I'm probably at great risk, and hopefully one of my sons at the back there isn't paying attention. I want to share with you a note that uh, he had written many years ago. I won't mention which son it is, because he'll get embarrassed. I want to share with you a note that he wrote many years ago, and gee, it really encouraged me and Jode, uh, that's my wife, that uh, when we found this, and we've, I mean, it's encouraged us so much, we've actually hung on to it for years. I just took a photo of this last, last night, actually, to use. So this is what he had written on this little sticky note. He said, I'm a loma, I'm smart, I'm great, I have good ideas, I like nunchucks. That's important, very important for us lomas, nunchucks. I'm awesome. How encouraging is that? to see your son, and he probably would have been, I don't know, six or seven or something like that when he wrote it. That is so encouraging. You know, as a father, it almost melts your heart because he has this understanding of who he is, his identity, who he is. That's what he assimilates 
his life as being. You know, he understood the potential in him as well. We need to begin to understand that uh, ourselves. Did you know it's seated in every single one of us, whether you're a believer or not, seated in every, is this capacity for good, isn't it? We see that's evidence whenever we see tragedy take place around the world or people who are kind of struggling or finding difficulties in life. We see how people just rise up who rally together and really are quick to give their resources, their time, their energy, whatever it may be. We see that capacity. You know why? Because it's written into our DNA. It's part of our character as far as being created in the image of God. So whether you're a believer or not, we respond in that manner. But as believers, aren't we supposed to respond like that all the time? Aren't we? It's not a sometimes event. That's an all the time event. We need to uh, begin to understand that. You know, I could probably talk more about that, but there's a great quote, and you probably, many of you have probably heard this or read this before, um, and I'm going to share it now because I can't articulate this any better um, on this with regards to our potential. Um, so it's better off if I just read straight from here. So it's a quote from Marianne Williamson. And my understanding, and Dale might be, uh, be able to correct me, Nelson Mandat actually used a variation of this quote. She actually wrote it for him. Unfortunately, my understanding is that when Nelson Mandela used the quote, he kind of removed a lot of the references to God. But this is the original quote uh, by Mary Ann Williamson. So it says this, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We're all meant to shine as children do. We are born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine... We unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And as we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. That's powerful, isn't it? I love that quote. That says so much. But you know what? It, you know, it tells us how important it is that we have people around us who identify that potential in us too, doesn't it? That not only are we called to recognise the potential in ourselves, we're called to recognise the potential in other people and call them into that place. That's what we need to do, just as other people are calling us into that, encouraging us, strengthening us. Did you know that... Are you aware that how important names are? Who knows what their name actually means? Put your hands up. If you know what your name means. We've got a few people. If you don't, what you, if you don't know what your name means, I encourage you to go and find out what it means. Because it's actually important. It actually, the meaning of your name can actually speak to the capacity or the, to the potential within you, in your identity. You know, God understood this when we look at, and the next table I'm going to show you is the first, I think it's 10 or so names, uh, the beginning of creation of humanity, the first few generations, and the meaning of their names. And we begin to see how God has written into our names just the story of salvation and redemption. So we have there, it starts with God, always starts with God. And we have Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalal, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. So this is what their names mean. This is what it says when we read out the meaning of their names, one after the other. The God, 
Man is appointed, a mortal man of sorrow is born. The glory of God, that is Jesus, shall come down, instructing that his death shall bring those in despair comfort and rest. It's amazing, isn't it? Can we see how God's actually writing into even our names, our identity, as far as our name is concerned, the meaning and calling and the potential that we have as people? So I encourage you, if you don't know, we need to get to know what your name means and understand where that is kind of speaking, leading you to. You know, one of the greatest enemies to our potential is this distorted view of what we have, what we think success is, isn't it? If we look at Matthew 25, 23, we all know this verse. It says, well done, good and successful servant. Enter into your master's rest. That's right, isn't it? No, someone said no, it's not right. What does it say? It says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in your rest. There's no mention of success. Can I suggest something to you? That in faithfulness, there's not only success, you can not only find success, but you can also find failure. Or to be more specifically, failure as far as the world defines it. Yeah? We're called to be obedient, to be faithful, that's it. And we understand as we respond and do that to God, God, in God there is success. And this is the goodness that, he, that is him, that is God, that we can share in that, in all that he's accomplished, all that he's done. We're called to be faithful not necessarily successful. And by that I'm again stress success as far as the world defines it. You know, we need to then begin to relook at our lives because sometimes we've allowed our own perception that we've failed in the past, that we haven't accomplished what we thought we might have wanted to, to, to do in our life, that we allow that to really hold us and tie us and hold us back. Don't we? So we need to understand it's about faithfulness. You know, success is often driven by the pursuit of performance rather than the pursuit of relationship. And that's what we've got to understand, that we've got to pursue that relationship, that relationship with God first and foremost, because everything flows out of our relationship with God and then the relationship with those people around us. We need to understand too that sometimes this potential it just stays dormant in our lives, doesn't it? We can go through our life without ever fully understanding our potential or realising it, don't we? Some people kind of get it, other people don't. It's kind of a strange thing, isn't it? But we need to understand that potential is actually something that we need to possess, that we need to go after. We need to respond to. You know, every one of us have received uh, gifts. We know that the spiritual gifts that are given uh, by the grace of the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We've all received those things, but the authority to operate in those gifts, to, to, in those gifts, I should say, to take us to the depth and level comes from the authority. How far, how much are we going to go after it? How much are we going to respond to God in these things? In Matthew 10, 7 and 8, I think I might even have the, uh, there we go. Matthew 10, 7 to 8 says, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Can I tell you what that kingdom is? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not talking about a specific location. It's not talking about a particular time frame. It's actually what it means from the Greek actually means an authority to rule over a kingdom. 
In other words, it's a state of understanding, a state of being, a way in which we respond and move. And that is available to every single one of us, but we need to act and respond. In 1 Corinthians 14.1, when it's talking about our spiritual gifts, and the Amplified probably sets it out even quite well, but it actually says, earnestly desire and cultivate these gifts. So again, it's stressing. We need to go after it. We can't just sit back and think, well, God's going to do everything. It's a partnership. We, we work and move together with him. Yes, he's accomplished everything for us. We don't need to worry about that, but we still need to respond. We still need to go after these things. So if you want to see the potential in your life recognized and played out, you need to learn to respond and move uh, together with God. The third point, letting go of the past. So from Ephesians 4.22, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. This is one of the biggest killers, isn't it, of identity, is this whole idea of, um, you know, some people just kind of get caught up through, you know, not particularly any their fault or anything like that, but they just kind of get caught up in holding on to the past, their past um, regrets, their past sin, Whatever it is, their past failings or whatever they perceive as their past failings, these things can really peg us and hold us and create such a warped perspective or view of our present and our future. It ties us down. You know, Paul had to remind the Ephesians of this very fact that they're now a new creation, that what had held them in the past could not restrict them anymore. And we need to begin to understand that as well. Do you know what the past is done with? doesn't matter what has happened, doesn't matter where you've come from, what experiences you've had, doesn't matter what you've believed about yourself or what others have believed about you, makes no difference. The past is done, you've put on a new self. Putting, a lot, putting aside what has been done, we move forward, we step forward, we are a new creation. Do you know what? God doesn't hold that against any of you, so why should you hold it against yourself? Does that make sense? Are you with me? Who's ever driven past a, a uh, circus in town? Dave has. And you've seen the elephant at the front and he is just tethered to a stake in the ground. And you've ever wondered why such a big animal, such a strong animal, wouldn't just rip that stake out of the ground and just wander off? I've kind of wondered about it to the point where I've actually Googled it to find out why don't they do that? It doesn't make sense. So I did that. You know what I found out? I found out that when that elephant was a baby, was young, was small... They did the same thing. They tethered uh, the one leg of the elephant to a stake in the ground. Now, as a baby, that elephant couldn't pull. It wasn't strong enough to pull that stake out. So it actually learnt pretty early on that I just can't do this. I'm not strong enough. And it it would give up. But the thing is, as it grew bigger and stronger and older, it it maintained that small-minded approach to itself. And it actually never tries because it thought, do you know what, I've tried so many times in the past and it hasn't worked, so why try now? You know, we get into that frame of mind and thinking, don't we? We kind of think, but I've tried so many times. I've tried so many times to turn my life around, to get out of the, the rut that I'm in, to move forward. But it's never worked in the past. But you're forgetting how strong you've become. You're forgetting about what the things that God has done in your life, the journey that he's taken you on, the things that he's revealed to you, spoken to you. You're forgetting that, again, it's not in your strength anyway. It's what God has done in you and through you. And it's in his strength that you can pull that thing out that stake out and to be able to move forward. We need to, again, just change our thinking, our mindset toward these, these things. 
In Romans 8, this is a, a, a great scripture and quite often you'll know it probably off by heart because we quite often go to it as believers. But it says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Saviour or our Lord. It's a great scripture, isn't it? It's really encouraging. Can you tell me, and it's a great list of things up there, is it, did anything stand out, what's missing from that list? Those here this morning will know. Okay, go Dave. Oh, the past. The past is not listed there. Everything else is listed except for the past. That's strange, isn't it? Now, I'm not suggesting you build your theology around this by any means, but it's just interesting that we've got the future, we've got the present, we've got all these other things, all these, and everything, or anything other created. It's, everything's listed there except for the past. Now, I want to stress this, absolutely stress this. The issue is not at God's end. The issue is our end. Are we willing to let go of the past? Are we willing to move forward? You know, God has forgotten that. It says that he will remember our, our sins, our infirmities, not our infirmities, but our trespasses no more. He makes that clear. You know, quite often we continually ask for forgiveness for sins that we've, we've committed and God's up there going, I don't even know what you're talking about. You know, I promised that I would forget those things. I'd wipe them clean. Yet you keep bringing up this thing continually. I've forgotten what it is, just as I'd promised I would. But it's us. We continually revisit the past too often so I want you to understand that the issue is not at God's end the issue is at our end do you know it's a, it's a choice to let go of the past isn't it sometimes a very hard choice to make isn't it because sometimes we can just find uh, familiarity in that place isn't it it's comfortable or it's uh, confronting to begin to kind of work through some of the things we need to work through or to find our place where we need to be and where God desires us to be. But do you know what? I want to encourage you that it's well worth it. No matter how confronting, no matter how challenging, no matter how long that journey is, it's well worth it. Because when we begin to realise what we're giving up, what are we giving up? We're giving up our sin. We're giving up our shame, our guilt. In return for what? Do you know what? We get back peace. We get back strength. We get back courage. We get back purpose and meaning for our life that's really kind of a strange you know the fact that God would take those things from us and what he would bless us with it's quite amazing and why we wouldn't choose to take that journey to take up those things that God has for us you know it kind of seems crazy at times I suppose but people do it we all do it to one degree or another and I want to encourage you that let today be that day that you begin to move forward, to step out into something new, to begin to realise who you are. Do you know what? It's in Christ that we are found. In Christ. That is the foundation of who we are. Understanding that every word that he's spoken, this, this is our handbook for life, isn't it? It sets out how we're to live how we're to be in relationship with God and with each other. There's so many things in there. And every one of his promises is available to us. Every one of us. Every one of you. 
if we only respond and move and begin that journey with God and the things that He desires to do in and through us. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.